God, we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday that we have. I pray that you would be with us as we reflect upon your word, as we reflect upon the story of the resurrection, and that we would see it through fresh eyes and to be able to understand what this means for us today. Fill us with your hope and your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Easter morning. It is Easter Sunday. And this is really the most important Sunday for Christians. This is the the top of the list. I was having a conversation with my daughter about that. And she said, you mean even more important than Christmas? I said, yes, it's more important than Christmas. And she said, well, if Jesus wasn't born, then he couldn't have done all those other things. I said, yes, technically you're right. But everyone who has lived has been born. So yes, it is important that Christ was born, but what is unique is that he's the only one who died and was resurrected. Now, of course, we have stories in the Gospels of Jesus bringing other people back to life, but when he did that, he just brought them back to the the previous state that they were in, and so they all would have gotten sick and died again. Jesus is the only one who received a resurrection body, and so this is unique. In fact, in the early church, Uh, They didn't celebrate Christmas until centuries afterwards, whereas Easter, not under that name, but the the concept that we know as Easter, uh, they celebrated that right from the beginning. The the death and the resurrection are the cornerstones of Christianity. However, with that, there is also a danger. And the danger is that we just get so used to the story. We are so familiar with, with it, that it just has no power for us. Uh, we, we remember, yes, Jesus died on a cross and things were sad. And then all of a sudden there's uh, Easter Sunday morning that the, the sun is shining. It's beautiful. The birds are chirping. Uh, the disciples stumble upon the empty tomb. They, they find that Jesus is alive. They celebrate. They're all happy. They have a great big party. Jesus gives them a high five and it's all beautiful. And then we can just have a, a nice uh, story and we can then uh, go in and look for our chocolate Easter eggs. That's that's the way we have seen uh, Easter Sunday. But there is something really, really powerful there, and, and it's helpful for us to to see it in a fresh way and to try to peel back some of the things that have uh, been added to it and to go back to what originally happened that morning. And so we're going to look at it uh, specifically from the perspective of Mary Magdalene. And I think that in her experience, we'll find something not just about the uh, historical events that happened 2,000 years ago, but also something that has to do with our experience today. And I find I think you'll find it uh, quite relevant. So when we look at Mary Magdalene, there's a couple things that I really have to get out of the way. Uh, number one is that Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. So you may have... Uh, uh, grown up with that belief, you probably have seen Jesus movies where they, they show Mary Magdalene being an ex-prostitute. That is not what the New Testament says. That is a tradition that developed later on, and uh, they basically took uh, different figures, including Mary Magdalene and a few other people from the New Testament, and they combined all these women into one, and they turned her into the, the Mary Magdalene who was an ex-prostitute. But that's not what it says. I, I remember hearing a, an interview uh, with a uh, New Testament scholar who was uh, giving some 
uh, advice to a, a Jesus movie, and they were setting up Mary Magdalene with a traditional narrative of being an ex-prostitute, and the, the scholar said, well, she wasn't. And they're like, yeah, but the story, it works so nicely. It just sounds so good. Uh, but that's not what the, uh, the New Testament says. And the other thing is, Mary Magdalene was not married to Jesus. Uh, there's been all kinds of books and articles about that in uh, recent years. And that probably goes back again to this belief that she was a, uh, an ex-prostitute. And there's something beautiful there that Jesus would marry this uh, ex-prostitute. But the problem is, she wasn't an ex-prostitute and she wasn't married to Jesus. So uh, that story just uh, falls apart completely. But Mary is an important figure. And she was very close to Jesus. She was very close to him. Uh, she was one of his followers. She went along uh, with him with a number of other women and uh, had an extremely close relationship with him. Loved him tremendously. And she unfortunately had to see her best friend killed in a terrible way. Uh, to watch him be betrayed, to be arrested, to be beaten, to be forced to carry his cross... Uh, to be mocked, uh, and to uh, be crucified. And crucifixion was just a terrible way to go. There, there were much better ways to kill someone. If you wanted to do something quick and economically, uh, you could do it very easily. Just a, a stab of the sword, and it was done. But a crucifixion was meant to humiliate the criminal and to make them an example so that everyone could see this person up there and uh, to see them dying over a matter of hours. In some cases, it took uh, well over a day before the person would die. And that was an example saying, you, you don't mess with the Romans, otherwise this is what's going to happen to you. And we're actually told in the Gospels that the, uh, the male disciples ended up getting uh, scared. They didn't know what was going to happen to them. And so they just took off. They, they ran off and they didn't stay with Jesus uh, right to the end. But we're told that the women did stay. They had the courage uh, to remain with Jesus to the end. So Mary Magdalene watched Jesus as he had his final breath. And imagine what that was like for him. If you, Maybe you've seen uh, a loved one. You've been with them as they've had their final breath. It is heartbreaking to experience something like that. And that is exactly what happened to Mary. And uh, the way it worked out is that he died on a Friday afternoon and Sabbath begins Friday night, and uh, Jews are not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. And so right from uh, Friday night to the end of Saturday night, there was nothing that could be done. So there was many things that Jesus, uh, that Mary Magdalene wanted to do uh, to uh, prepare the body and to, to do the, the various things that would normally be done uh, for a person who had just recently died. But because of the Sabbath rules, she was not able to do that. And it just worked out that she wasn't able to do what she wanted to do uh, until uh, Sunday morning, very early. In fact, it's, it says that it wasn't even light out yet. It was still dark. That's how early. But she was eager to get to the tomb and to be able to grieve for her friend the way that she wanted. And she got there and uh, discovered that uh, the the entrance was open. There was a rock that was rolled over to prevent looters from coming in and stealing anything that might be in there. And so she went and she got uh, two of the other disciples, uh, uh, Peter and another one, and they went into the tomb. They checked it out. They saw that there was nothing, uh, there was no person in there. There was no body in there. Although the strange thing was that the burial cloths were still 
on the, on the, the bed where, where Jesus had been laying. Which is strange, because if someone wanted to just steal his body, why would they unwrap him of the burial cloths first, and, uh, and then take him? It would just make sense if you're gonna steal a body, you just take the body as it is, but the burial cloths were still there. So they didn't know what to make of this. They just knew that Jesus' body was gone. And so they, they went off to, uh, to talk with their, the other disciples to try to wrap their minds out of what was going on because this was so confusing and, and so difficult. But Mary wasn't able to leave the tomb. She was grieving so hard. Not only had she lost her friend, now the body of her friend was missing. And it was so important, especially for Jewish people of that day, that they would be able to treat the body properly, that it would be able to go through all the stages and eventually be put into a bone box and then and properly interred in that way. And all of that was being taken away because Jesus' body was missing. And so as she's, she's so frustrated, she goes back into the tomb and just to, to take another look. Maybe it was just her imagination that all of this thing was going on. Maybe she was just dreaming. And there are two angels in there. Now, she probably didn't know that they were angels. They, they probably just look like men dressed in white. But uh, she sees them in there, and they ask a question. Why are you weeping? Why are you crying? And she explains that it's she's upset because uh, Jesus is gone. She's, uh, that he's missing. Now, it's interesting, when you look at that, uh, the the angels don't give any answers. They don't say, oh, here, we can explain it to you. This is what really happened. They're not very much help at all, other than to just ask the question, why are you weeping? It's almost as if they're just a little bit of a hint, just a tease of what is to come. And so she's really, really hurting. And uh, she turns around, and she sees that there's a, a man standing there. And it's Jesus, but she doesn't recognize it as Jesus. Now, now, why doesn't she recognize it? Um, th- there are other uh, cases in, in the Gospels where Jesus is appearing to people and they don't recognize him. You know, maybe he looked a little bit different. Maybe it's just they weren't expecting it. So if you're not expecting someone that you you know has just died, you're not expecting them to walk up to you, you're not looking for that. Maybe her eyes were blurry from weeping. Uh, we don't know exactly, but... She just vaguely saw that there was a person there and thought maybe it was the gardener. Maybe the gardener knew what was going on. Maybe the gardener had removed the body for some mysterious reason. And so she, she asks him. And when you, when you read it in the scriptures there, you can see the, uh, the, how emotionally exhausted she is. She doesn't want to fight anymore. She doesn't want to beg or anything else. Just, if you got the body, just let me have the body back, okay? Let me grieve the way I need to grieve. And uh, Jesus calls her by name, Mary. And at the calling of her name, she recognizes Jesus. Her eyes are open. She is filled with joy. She's so excited that her friend is alive. It was all revealed in the calling of her name. And she ends up going to the disciples. They're off uh, by themselves trying to figure out why is the tomb empty? What's going on? We don't know what's happening. She is the one who's got the information. She is actually the first witness of the resurrected Christ. She is the one who is going to come and to uh, share the truth with the disciples who are just left completely ignorant at that time. And so it's an amazing story that we have for Mary. And it's something that we can learn from. So the question I want to ask you here is, 
when she first sees Jesus and uh, thinks that he is the gardener, is she right or is she wrong? The answer is yes. She was right and she was wrong. So she was wrong in that she thought he was just the regular gardener that looked over, looked after that part of the cemetery and who was just there, you know, doing his thing. She was wrong. That's not uh, who Jesus was. But she was right in that he was a gardener. That a gardener not looking after physical plants, but a gardener who cultivates faith. And that's really what we see in this passage. I think it is a beautiful example of a faith journey as we look at Mary's journey from that beginning part uh, when she is just filled with grief and doesn't know what's going on to the point where she becomes a witness to the resurrection. So it begins in the darkness, not just the darkness that the sun isn't out, but the emotional darkness. So the emotional darkness, the fact that Jesus is dead, but also now things have gotten much worse because his body is missing. So he is, she is in a very rough spot with that. She is feeling completely uh, full of despair. How could this possibly have happened? And it just feels terrible. And many of us are in something like that. Now, it, it doesn't mean that the, a body of a loved one is missing, but we have those moments where we don't know where God is. We feel like everything has fallen apart. We feel like there's no hope in the world, and we just don't know what to do. And for many people, they think that this is uh, the absence of faith, but it's not. It's actually an important part in this process of cultivating faith. Uh, we are in spring right now, and you probably have that excitement when you see the plants coming up. They're shooting out of the gardens. It's so exciting to, to see that when it begins. But the only reason we have that joy and excitement is because we've gone the past couple of months where our gardens have looked completely dead, where things look like there was no hope of anything growing there. It's in that, that place where everything looks dead that new life appears. And so this is an important stage. It was an important stage for Mary, and it is an important stage for us. Uh, the spiritual writers of the past often talk about a dark night of the soul, and they never referred to it as a... a a place of failure. It's not a place that, that indicated, uh, I am a terrible Christian because I'm going through this time of darkness. They understood it as a necessary part of that faith journey. For Mary, the next stage was encountering those angels. And as I said, the angels aren't very much help. They don't give her any answers. They don't tell her that Jesus is alive. They don't explain the resurrection or anything like that. They're just kind of there as just vague indicators of God's presence in some way. And that's another part of our stage where we might get these little hints of God being there. Maybe there's a, a little answer to prayer, not something major, not like a, 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 a healing from cancer or anything like that, but just a, a little sign that has reminded you, wait a minute, I think God is here somewhere. Uh, life is still pretty rough. Uh, I don't have the answers. But I just get this sensation that maybe God isn't completely gone. Maybe he still is around here somewhere. And that is what the angels are like. And then for Mary, what turns everything around is when 
Jesus calls her name. Mary. And she recognizes in the calling of her name that it is indeed Jesus. And Jesus continues to call our name. Not audibly. Probably none of us have had any experience like that. But there is experiences available for us where Jesus reveals himself in a very special way. And it looks different for everyone. And that's what's so beautiful about this. What happens with Mary, that's not the same way it worked with Peter. It's not the same way that it worked with Paul. Everyone was different. Jesus calls our name in different ways. For my case, uh, Jesus called my name when I was in a Mexican jail. Uh, and uh, for Amanda, uh, her name was called when she was in a, uh, a worship service at a church in Niagara Falls. I don't know how God has called your name, and I can't even give you uh, a description of what that's going to look like or how it's going to sound or anything. All I can say is, when Jesus calls your name, you're going to know. You're going to know that something has happened, that you are seeing Jesus with clearer eyes than you've ever seen him before. And then the final part, is where Mary goes off and is a witness to the resurrection. Uh, she goes and she shares the story that Jesus Christ is alive. He has risen from the dead. Death could not keep him down. And this is a part of our own faith journey. As, as Jesus is cultivating our faith, he wants to get us to this place. And I know that the thought about uh, talking about faith uh, strikes fear into so many people. And I understand that because I am an introvert. It's not something that comes natural to me. But you know, I have noticed when people go on a new diet, whether it was Atkins or the keto diet or whatever it is, and people see results, they're eager to tell everyone around them. They're just like stopping people on the bus stop. Yeah, have you tried this new diet? This has been amazing. Or a new exercise uh, uh, routine or, or something has happened. Or maybe it's even a, a television show or a movie they've seen. Oh, you got to watch this. This is so good. This is life-changing. They're so excited to, to share that. But we have this message that Jesus Christ is alive, that he has risen from the dead, and that resurrection is the first part of a resurrection in which we ourselves will be able to experience. I think that's better news than a diet, personally. I think that that is incredible news. Now, I'm not telling you to go and to uh, shove religion down people's throat. I'm not telling you to, to grab a megaphone and just walk up to someone and scream it in their face or anything like that. But there are ways, respectful ways, in which people can hear the message that Jesus is alive. Uh, for some of us, it's going to be sharing the story from the biblical narrative. Uh, for some of us, it's going to be helping people in their time of need, whether it's uh, through out of the cold or through uh, something completely informal. But we need to be witnesses of the resurrection. I want you to know that faith is not instant. Uh, yeah, there are sometimes there's these bursts of faith, but most people do not go from being a complete skeptic to being completely filled with faith and ready to do all ministry in an instant. That's not the way it works. We have a gardener, a gardener named Jesus, who is carefully cultivating our faith. He's cutting and pruning. He takes us from a place of darkness. He gives us little hints that God might be around here somewhere. Not enough necessarily to give us all the answers, but enough to keep us on the journey. And then we hear 
our name. In some mysterious way, Jesus reveals Himself. And He reveals Himself not just for us to have a personal blessing, but He reveals Himself so that we can be His witnesses, sharing the good news with those He brings in our path. Let us pray. God, we thank You that Jesus is alive. We thank You that You are working to cultivate faith in our lives right now. And I don't know where each person is here. For some, it is the point where Mary is grieving over the death and the removal of the body of Jesus. For others, they're at the point of seeing the angels, not getting the answers, but just getting the hints. For some of us, we have heard our names and we have been called into new life. And for others, we have been empowered to be witnesses. Wherever we are at on that journey, continue to cultivate our faith. Help us to grow. In Christ's name, amen.